if the culture is one where you're scared to put yourself out there, you are, it's a perfectionist culture that it's a people are on transmit, they don't listen, you'll struggle to make learning happen. Hello, you're listening to Digital Surfing, the podcast that covers the digital customer experience stories of leaders around the world. I'm your host, Darren Smith, and we've got Patrick Burns, a sales director at Edcast with us today. Even though we're all about digital, we start out by speaking about getting your sales methodology defined and your leadership style right before going in and selecting digital technology. And then we move on to speak about the future of learning and the role AI plays in the future of learning. Let's go, digital surfing. Patrick, awesome having you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's get started with a bit of your background. Who is Patrick? What makes Patrick tick? <laughs> so big question, because there's a lot I could say, but I guess we're, on, we're, we're talking about sales and digital and stuff. I guess for me, I've been in sales ever since I left university, really. And I was in that situation where a lot of people find themselves in where they're like, I now need to get a job and I need to know what job I need to get. But I've been in sales since 2007. I joined, I got my first sales job 2007, which now is, it'll be 14 years this October. And yeah, I've been working in it ever since. Landed in learning. So we started in training and now I'm in learning tech. So I feel like I've followed, followed the journey of learning in the workplace quite closely. And it's quite a cool place to be. So what makes me tick? I'm a bit of a sales nerd. I'm interested in organizational learning and I'm interested in just, yeah, the human element of sales, which is quite fun when you're working in a software firm, because they sometimes forget that humans are relevant in part of this whole whole thing. So, yeah, that's me. And yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more. So 14 years ago, I think even five years ago, maybe, I feel that there was still like an attitude towards sales as like the job that you did if you weren't good at anything else. and I feel that that's now changed where people are actually realizing that like that there's a skill set in the science and it's not just you've got the gift of the gab so you're now a salesperson. I'm like have you also seen that kind of change in behavior or did you not experience yeah. that at all? I'd certainly do experience that and I think it's changing. I don't think it's changed fully especially here in the UK, because I think attitudes across the world are different towards salespeople. I think potentially, you know, I've worked in the US market, there's a lot more respect towards that as almost like as a skill in its own right. You know, there's a sales professional mm. here in the UK. There's, it certainly was in 2007. It was seen very much as a, you know, as a, as a job that you did, you have, you know, you can talk to people, therefore you can do sales. And you can drink beer. You can drink beer and you can talk to people, therefore you can, you're good at selling. <laughs> But I don't know how true that, that that is. And I do think things are changing right now. And I think what's been happening with the pandemic has really accelerated that because a lot of the things people did to sell, i.e. going and hanging out with their prospects, going and drinking with their prospects or meeting with their prospects, just couldn't happen. So things have mm. changed. But yeah, so in answer to your question, it is changing. It hasn't changed. I think certainly there is a skill set required to be an effective salesperson especially if you're looking at complex solutions or software or platforms you need to understand more than just you know how many pets your prospect has <laughs> don't, want to, don't want to be flippant though you know that is important <laughs> yeah yeah and and i mean so you've been 
as you said, mostly in learning, training type type environments. Like, how many different organisations have you been through in that in that kind of sales space? So I started a, a, a training provider in the UK. So literally a company who would provide face-to-face training courses. So a company called QA. And I was there for seven years. It was mm. a fantastic organization. That for me is training in its purest sense, or it certainly was was when I was there. And then I moved to Strength Partnership, which was a assessment skills, a strength-based profiler, as well as HR consultancy and a little bit more consultant side rather than product side. Mm. And then I went to Mind Tools, who was learning tech in its purest, well, in its content sales in terms of learning tech. And then now I'm at Edcast. So I feel I've been at those four organizations that have crossed quite the gamut of not only different offering, but also how the industry is, has changed as well. Because I think a lot of people probably are in a similar boat to me. We start mm-hmm. in one thing and are ending up in another. Yeah. And the other thing I'm, I'm sure between those four organizations is different ways of managing pipeline, managing reporting. Like, you know, I'm, I'm quite interested to understand what the trends are almost that you picked up between that. I'm sure there might have been some running on stuff like a spreadsheet and then some running on big tech like Salesforce. Like how, how's, how's like you seen between those four different organizations over those years, like how they manage that pipeline reporting? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question because there are so many things that go into how organizations look at, I guess, their future pipeline or, or how much money they're going to make in the future or how many deals they're going to do in the future, which, mm. is, which is so important for any sales organization. So if you, if you look at QA, who is a huge organization, and it was all about activity, it was all about on a monthly basis, how many lines you had on your forecast, how many we had A, B, we called them A, B and C. It was rudimentary. And if I compare that to Edcast, who is an, it's a solution, it's a, it's a complex technical solution requiring multiple stakeholders, requiring multiple relationships within that organization, longer sales cycles. So those two organizations have got very different ways of managing pipeline. And if you think of those two, in terms of complexity of sale, mind tools and strengths sat between them. And then all mm. you've also got to factor into how much, how kind of established the organization is, you know, whether a company's been around for 40 years or whether a company's been around for three years, they've probably got ideas in terms of how this works out. So for me, each each company has a different approach to it, all trying to do the same thing, which is ultimately get the crystal ball out and predict what's going to happen, not because they're wanting to beat up the sales team, but so they can make informed decisions about what they do with their resources. And I think that's, yeah. that's the same. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's certainly, there's certainly differences. So, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I'm sure you've been on either side of that crystal ball. You've been the one that's having to input into, into management and other yeah. times you've got a team and you're trying to get them to, stare into the crystal ball so maybe my question is like through all this time that you've been in sales is there a crystal ball staring technique that you believe ends up with the most accurate prediction yeah so for me it's a sales leadership core competency which is how how effective you are at managing that pipeline you know for whatever territory you're looking after you need to be able to have a very strong grasp on what's happening and what's what will happen the managers or or the when it's gone well it's always been because the sales leader 
understands the why behind forecasting. So they explain to you as a salesperson why we're in, why we're wanting you to have conversations about how many first meetings you're having this week or how many follow-ons, how many demos, how many pitches, all of these things translating through into, okay, how many opportunities are you? Do you have, where are they on the scale? Now that sounds pretty boring if you're a salesperson, mm-hmm. but it's not boring if you're a sales leader one needing to, to pull this information together. So when it's gone well, the sales leader has almost sold the why or the, the reasons behind the forecasting to the salesperson. And I've had I've had both. I've had some great sales sales leaders who I don't even realize that I'm doing this admin. It's kind of part of my job. It helps. And then I've had other sales managers where it's been tough and it's been like, oh, it's it's been a it's been a drag having to do a forecast every week. Oh and I think that's probably speaks to system as well as leadership. But for me, the leadership, the sales leadership core competency comes from that person. Again, yeah, I hope that helps. What I find very interesting is, is that when I ask this question fairly regularly, people default to telling me about technology that helped them forecast. And not once have you mentioned technology, you've mentioned process and methodology and thinking. Did you realize you did that? Did you do that on purpose or is it a coincidence? Well, I just think there's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of people who wants to say that the answer to forecasting is a really good piece of tech. And I think (laughs) tech is an enabler. The best forecasters I've worked with will use technology to do that. That, But my point is, I don't think the thing that differentiates them is that, because I think the technology is there for, you know, when I was at I've been at companies using Salesforce and some companies, Mm. Salesforce is a fantastic piece of technology, but it's only fantastic if it's used effectively. And it's only used Mm. effectively if the sales leadership understand really what the value behind it is. Mm. And I've seen Salesforce used terribly and I've seen it used excellently. And I think I'm I'm a people person. I'm having to learn a lot going into the technology world, learning about tech. Yeah. But I still think people are at the core of this. So, yeah, it was intentional, but I'm glad you picked up on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, so I suppose technology comes in in some way or another when it comes to holding a sales rep to account. Yeah. Because unless you're a sales manager that has an extremely good memory and you can remember last week what that person said. So... And I like your answers around methodology and process as opposed to the technology. Are there, are there ways that you've seen work really well in like holding a sales rep to account of what they're forecasting? So, yeah. So the, the, the sales manager's interaction with a salesperson is vital. And the salesperson will meet that sales manager knowing what the sales manager is going to be asking. <laughs> so it's all about that. And that's a, what I mean by that is, you should never go into a one-to-one with your sales leader and get ambushed by by some stats that that sales leader is going to pull out and beat you over the head about it. But equally, you should know, hang on, this week, I know my sales manager expects me to be at this level of pipe, of activity, of progression, of all of these things. And therefore, the technologies that enable you as a salesperson to know whether you're on track or not are vital. And also the, mm. the trust that you know that your, your manager knows that sees exactly the same information. And then also the CEO sees exactly the same information. That creates a culture 
of accountability across the board. When that happens, I think great things happen from a sales sales perspective and from a client perspective because the clients mm-hmm. aren't getting the client won't be hit by a salesperson who's going crap. I need to just immediately do something immediately now because I've got a meeting with my boss. It becomes a lot more rational, um, mm-hmm. and that's why I think it comes down to people and process. The technology enables it, but the people and process who create that environment is how it becomes a, becomes successful. I don't know if that answers. Very, yeah, very I'm, interesting. Yeah. So t- keeping on on sales methodology, um, before we move on to some discussion around learning tech, you get the kind of inbound methodology, marketing working with the sale to generate leads and and the and an inside sales team responding to 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 that, and then you've got your outbound uh, finding prospects, whatever, using LinkedIn Sales Navigator or uh, traditional methods of networking and so on and, and, and so on. How have you seen those two kind of spheres almost merge? Um, or have you seen, I'm, like, I'm seeing them the kind of merge in a fair amount, but are you seeing the same thing at all? Yeah, it's, I guess, the million dollar question, which is how, because inbound, outbound, whatever you call it, the outcome is the same. We want sales sales departments are wanting to speak to prospects that's what that's what we're trying to do and i think for me what's shifted over the since 2007 has been linkedin is mm-hmm. when i joined i don't think anyone at qa had linkedin when i joined probably not the case now and i would say you know every single prospect if they get somebody reaching out to them probably not all of them but probably will check out that person on linkedin I think that happens more than salespeople realize. And therefore, your LinkedIn persona matters. It's not just a nice to have. I think, but again, I would say I'm in learning tech. There are other sides of sales that this may not be as important. I think the other trends are telephone is a lot harder to do just pure telephone because I don't know how, when I started, everyone would have a phone at their desk. Mm. I don't know whether everyone has their phone have a work phone they may have a, they obviously have a smartphone but whether they would want someone calling that so therefore people interact in different ways people use linkedin they use email they use social media so there's these you, you need to be savvy on all these different touch points but ultimately it still boils down to activity you've got to do it there's no magic source to just avoid doing kind of hard work it's just maybe yeah. a, it's almost like a different kind of hard work as a segue to go and start speaking about the kind of learning and, and, and training space, at Edcast, where you are now, how is the sales org set up? Do you have different inside sales to outbound sales altogether? Do you have BDRs, account execs? How is it all structured? So Edcast is interesting if you compare it to like a, a training company, because Edcast is not a training company. Edcast is a software company. So Edcast mm. operates as a SaaS, enterprise SaaS organization so that's the model there's nothing crazy out there in terms of the structure but but ultimately there are sales directors who look after specific territories and those sales directors will have resources made available to them and will be expected to do self-generation as well to to get in front of the right people and make the right connections and move those prospects through the sales process the difference with edcast is it's a it's a service it's a strategic service that is made available to organizations who are fundamentally looking to change how they do learning within their business so Mm. there is a certain amount of education and almost evangelism that needs to go with the role as well as everything you'd expect from a complex sales department 
so yeah it's 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 awesome but in terms of the structure it's slightly it's it's like a SaaS firm whereas when working in kind of training that for me was more you know as an account manager you would do every aspect of the sales process you would do the account management the, the calling up for new prospects the managing of of actual engagements as they happen follow up all of those things you would do okay that's interesting yeah i've been hearing a lot of terminology to explain different sales methodologies like for example the assembly line process where you've got like people that pass from one to the next the next you've got the pod kind of setup where you've got like a two or three people working together each with their specific role then you have the kind of hybrid process where the, that person's yeah you know, doing a bit of their own outreach, responding to inbound, putting together a process. And it's interesting to see, even in the SaaS world, how the different SaaS providers are, which option they are going for. Well, I can only speak from an EdCast perspective, but what I see from this organization is whilst, yeah, those different teams are distinct and have their specific role in, as you like, the, the assembly line, what's vital is that they talk to each other and they're not mm-hmm. siloed away from each other. So just because my role is to manage new opportunities through from discovery all the way through to launch that's not to say i stick within that box only you know edcast whilst a globally recognized company still feels like a small agile almost startup Mm. kind of nature which i think is vital because you can get as a big firm you can get so siloed and so kind of like stuck in your ways you can probably get the sense i don't use terminology that i don't know sas terminology very well (laughs) but that's kind of how i see it it's a it's a it's a big old complex thing and there are lots of people in the process who have got different specific roles and accountabilities but they're all in the same in the same boat going for the same thing and in terms of last question on the sales side you know, in terms of the technology that set that you are using, yeah, what is it that those teams are, are using to hand off to each other? Well, in terms of just technology, it's a communication piece. You know, there, there is, you know, Salesforce will, will knit across the whole gamut. And so Salesforce will link marketing to sales to the actual delivery team. And there will, there will be loads of other tools that the whole organization use that I'm not aware of. But for us, being a dispersed global, in the vast majority remote workforce, having Microsoft Teams, having Zoom, having these kind of tools, as well as the LXP itself, which pulls together people as well as learning, is how we maintain that scale while still being very, very nimble and almost like feels like we're a very personal, small company whilst being Mm. across the whole globe, which is weird. And that's, yeah, tech does that. All right, so let's, let's talk about the, the, the kind of EdCast as itself, the software. You've alluded to what it does, but what exactly does it, does it do? So good question. As part of my onboarding, the test has been for me to do the elevator pitch, which is what you're asking for me right now. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, this is Friday at three o'clock, so my head is, head is fuzzy. But in essence, EdCast is the learning experience platform designed to enable employees to have access to the most relevant learning dependent on what they need what their company needs them to know and potentially what the future is bringing in terms of a new skill set and it uses ai to do that so basically it's really really interesting powerful technology that pulls from all these different places to provide each individual with a personalized learning experience pulling on courses videos resources face-to-face sessions, white papers, 
all the different things that you do or you, you or activities and interventions that you have, EdCast is the power behind that. And organizations are realizing they need to think like that because things are happening too fast for them to almost have people doing all that work. So that's what I've seen. I've seen EdCast for years being leading the way on this. That's why it's super cool to be to be to be on the inside now. So there you go. Very long elevator. But there you go. There's the other. Is there that kind of learning experience targeted at a particular department or audience within an organization? Is it across organization so it uh, has, uh, rollout? It has to be everyone because the whole idea is it's capturing the knowledge within the organization as well as bringing knowledge outside of the organization into it. So, for example, there could be someone in the finance department who's got great knowledge on something. The LXP enables them to create a smart code, create a piece of learning and put it in the company learning infrastructure and make somebody in the development team available to know that it's there. Now, mm-hmm. those two people may never even know that, you know, they're thinking the same thing or there's a skill set there or there's tacit knowledge sitting there. But I guess what I'm saying is it's not just something you'd give to one department because that's kind of like, well, what's the point? You may as well just use SharePoint for that. Give it everyone. Use the AI to start linking people together to content to people to learning and that's when that's when cool stuff happens so amic you alluded to part of your onboarding at edcast and amic you must have seen it across your career like one of those key audiences that need to learn is is sales because if you don't know your products and so on like you can't sell And, and i certainly have experience trying to find out information i've got a hot lead trying to find out information from an engineer or something and they don't have that same sense of urgency. So are you seeing, I suppose, are you guys practicing what you preach? Is that how you learn in, as you're onboarding, as you've seen an impact of the technology in, in being able to sell faster and quicker? Yes, is the answer. I think for me, the, one of the biggest challenges as a salesperson is, as you say, when you join a new company as a salesperson, there's a huge amount of pressure for you to learn your product and then go and deliver that first deal because you're going, oh my word, until you've done that first deal, you feel that if you feel, you feel pressure, right? And I, you know, that's, that will never go away. But I guess what the LXP does and has enabled me on, to onboard at Edcast remotely in a new, not only a new sales company, but in the software world, not just the learning world, it has enabled me to know who within Edcast I can go to. It has enabled me to engage with people at Edcast who I would never have been able to do that, right? Our CEO is in California. He engages with the content I upload on the LXP as part of my onboarding because he sees it. He's very interested in it. But also other people do. And you start that dialogue. But then the AI starts to know who I am. The AI starts to push content to me on my feed that I wouldn't even know. And you just get into that rigor of it just becomes part of your 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 day it hits you as you're working through it and I guess my point you know I would say that I work there but onboarding people whether you it's important for sales but it's important for everyone this kind of stuff's so hard you know how do you ensure a new person knows all this stuff that's in people's heads who've been there for years when they don't even see people they don't even sit in the same room as them ever and I think that's for me has been incredible and I think that's the way as we move into hybrid working more and more and more and more people are going to be working from home a lot more of the time, technology like this is going to have to bear more of the responsibility to bringing learning and people together. There you go. That was a sandbox I was on there for you. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, No, and, and it actually leads perfectly into my next question, which was like, 
you've been in training and learning for a long time. What are those changes? I mean, I, I'm assuming you're going to say, you know, it used to be a lot more face-to-face and it's going more and more technology-driven, but add some meat to that yeah. uh, besides what I'm saying. Well, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a cop-out to say, oh, face-to-face training, that's in the past and it's now all about tech. It's, it's, it's not. It's just that people are used to using technology in their life and therefore if they hit those moments where they're like they need to learn something they don't go they don't shrug their shoulders and wait and hope their learning development department send them on a course in six months time they just fix it themselves or go out and speak to people I think people do that more and more so what I think in terms of your answer to the question is how has learning changed I just think learning happens little and often rather than an event you know, when I first started Mind QA, training was a thing you would do maybe once a year and you'd get sent on a course. Now, those courses are still going to be relevant. You know, people are going to still need to go on courses from time to time. But what I see now is people are learning. They're just It's just what they do all the time. And they do it through things like this, a podcast or a white paper or going on a webinar or reading a book. You know, that's th- those things still happen. And But I think people are now wanting recognition for that you know and that's why things like the LXP are blowing up right now. I suppose people learn in different ways and is that part of what the LXP enables and like I, I personally I'm a reader I don't consume much video content even though any piece of PR you read will make you think that uh, video is the absolute the next massive big thing you know I have a really short attention span I cannot learn in a kind of live environment so I'm like there's Part of what kind of an LXP does is deliver the content in the format that you prefer, or how does how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a whole thing you've just touched on there, I think, which is around inclusion when it comes to learning. Because t- what it used to be is learning was training, and training was learning, and therefore if you didn't really like the idea of sitting in a classroom with thirty people for four days. There wasn't many options for you, or at least there weren't options for you that your employer would care about. You know, you could, you'd still do your reading, but your your company would wouldn't have it on your record that you were a learner. You were just somebody who didn't really like learning. Whereas what the LXP does is it recognizes the different modalities of learning. It will, will start to know who you are and start to start to suggest kind of content that you tend to engage with more. So if you're a if you like engaging with certain sources or you are rather than engaging with digital content, you are registering for training through the LXP, it will it will do that. It will serve more of that up on your feed. And the value of that is that learning then becomes something available to everyone rather than just a certain profile of almost extroverted person. You know, I think a lot of this is down to how you are, you know, especially when you're talking about personal development you don't always want to be on a in a class with 30 strangers talking about confidence or assertiveness or some of these quite personal stuff you want to be able to do things in your own way so i think the lxp and learning technology away from the lxp is recognizing that and bringing a much more of an inclusiveness which is a really cool thing i Mm. I, and where does coaching come into this because there's obviously there's like kind of training and learning at you or going through materials but then there's your manager like kind of coaching you and making you polished. Like how does that all fit together? And is there, I don't know, coaching enablement or something built into things like an LXP? Oh, there's a whole world around learning technology around coaching, <laughs> but also coaching as a, in, as a principle 
is so valuable and vital when it comes to any kind of learning, especially as you've gone past kind of entry level, you know, to become an expert or a master in something, you probably need a coach of sorts or a mentor of sorts. And a lot of the clients that we're talking to are talking about mentoring within their organizations being a vital part of creating that culture where people are pushing themselves to the next level, because a coach will ask you the questions you probably won't ask yourself. A coach will hold the mirror up at you. And that is super valuable. So in terms of answering your question, is learning tech doing that? Yes, learning tech is doing that. There are coaching apps out there, there are coaching services out there, enabling that interaction to go virtual, which is really cool. There is still coaching needed within workforces, even, you know, especially as one-on-one. Just because tech's good doesn't mean we don't want human contact. And I think coaching is super important still. Yeah, I mean, if I take the elevator pitch that you said that you've needed to perfect, maybe I assume you could have learned about the offering, how to pitch it and so on through learning material, but it's only working with your manager, your peers, where you can say, hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time to, t- to explain how I would pitch Edcast to somebody and, and let me know what I could do differently? Is that fair, fair to say? Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. Well, what happened was I created my elevator pitch and shared it on my company, LXP. And then people within my company gave me feedback. It's quite a scary moment, right? You're putting yourself out there. Mm-hmm. and But what it does is it sends a message to everyone else that it's okay to do that. It's okay to give feedback. And we're seeing it within the team that that's happening all the time. And that's ongoing. You know, you realize that your learning isn't finite. It doesn't end because you've done your onboarding. No, you start with your onboarding. You put yourself out there and you go, oh, actually, it's not that bad when, you know, I was really rusty on week one because all I'd done was read mm. loads of stuff and I was a bit clunky. Week 10, I was much more, much more streamlined, but there were different things people put, picked up on. And then they did it. And, and it just brings that culture piece, that learning culture across the board, across continents. Because in Edcast's case, we've got pe- I've got people in the US, in India and in Australia commenting on the stuff that I'm doing and I'm commenting mm. on the stuff they're doing, which is, which is awesome. So yeah, coaching in that sense, vital. So doing a full circle back, like we've been talking about technology, but you mentioned culture there. You know, like I suppose the same argument could be said that an organization without a learning culture can implement all the technology in the world. But if there isn't a, yeah, just that innate culture to encourage learning and encourage coaching, employees just aren't going to do it. For me, well, I've, I've written about this. I, I believe that culture is at the core of any strategy within an organization. What do they say? Culture eats strategy. I don't know what the phrase is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, how it, the culture of an organization will dictate how people behave within the organization. So if the culture is one where you're scared to put yourself out there, you are, it's a perfectionist culture that it's a, people are on transmit, they don't listen. Learning, you, you'll, struggle to, you'll struggle to make learning happen. Whereas if you create a culture where it's okay, whether you're the CEO or an entry-level person to go and have a voice and make mistakes and share them and co- and coaching is not punitive it's positive that's what and, and I think that comes from leadership and that comes from the people and if you have that the tech you will get will sing you know we have people calling us and go how do we create a learning culture I'm like well I don't know if Edcast is Edcast is a great piece of software and it's a great 
service, but I don't know whether EdCast is going to create your learning culture. You need to talk to your leader. You need to talk to your CEO and see if that person wants to create a learning culture. Because if that person doesn't, you're, you're pushing water uphill. And I've seen that from day one at QA through to now. So the companies who have a learning culture are more successful. And I would argue if you don't create a learning culture with the quantity of information out there, you know, knowledge is becoming more and more of a differentiator. And if you don't get onto that train and encourage learning and information dissemination in an organization, you're probably not going to be around in 10 years. You're going to struggle because the, the world changes. You know, we talk about it all the time, like the companies in the Fortune 500 top 100 or the FTSE 100, it's going to be different in five years' time because they're all changing. Things are changing so quickly. So if you don't have a culture where learning new things and innovating and changing and being different <laughs> is encouraged, you know, you just look at Blockbuster Video, you'll go that way. And I think that's a very real fear. And, it, and for, one thing I've learned now being in um, enterprise stuff is that being big doesn't stop you from being, le- being a learning. Look at Microsoft. They have massively changed their culture coming from the top they used to be the computer people and now they're the microsoft teams people. you know they're not they're not seen in that way and that's come mm. from a cultural change and i think it's exciting to know that the needs of the, the market forces are, are now in alignment with learning because <laughs> i don't know if they always were so to end off for today what is that one thing that you would do differently if you were to start it all again my whole career i think i would really stop thinking I know it all and I think especially leaving university and I think lots of people do this they, they've, they've got their degree they've got their grades and they're you know they've spent all that money on their education and they go into their first job and they you know they're great and you know I think I probably have done that across my career and certainly people who are around me have if I was to do it all again I would come in and listen to people and write them down and practice learning culture from day one rather than me trying to compete with everyone all the time. And I think if you do that, you move so fast. Whereas if you don't, you're almost fighting yourself. So that's kind of what I would do differently. But it is something that I'm doing now. And I don't think you need to, I I don't believe in kind of regrets. I just think do it now, be a learner and uh, yeah, it'd be awesome. Well, Patrick, thanks so much for sharing all this insight today. I really, really appreciate you being on Digital Surfing. Please all listeners, um, we will share Patrick's details in the podcast notes so you can reach out to him directly. And otherwise, like the show, share the show and join us for the next one. Thanks so much.